<laughs> hey guys, my, I want to welcome you to the next episode of the Metal Bible Podcast. I am extremely excited about this episode. My name is Caton, and I can't wait to bring you what I've got going on for you today. Uh, just so you know, we've got uh, we've had uh, some really awesome. Uh, you guys have been really awesome with the last couple of episodes. Um, I'm really supportive of the artists that we've had on. I really appreciate that. Uh, the two artists that have come on have actually been in the top 10 for the last two weeks. Uh, thanks to yours truly. I'm just kidding. Uh, but really, thank you guys for supporting them. I really appreciate that. I appreciate Matt Sasano for coming on and Jennifer from Magnescent. Uh, the next uh, episode uh, with a guest is going to be the, uh, the pastor of the heavy metal Bible, first heavy metal Bible church uh, of Dayton, Ohio. I believe that's December the 5th. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going off a of memory there. Um, so I might be wrong. I'll correct it if I'm not uh, right there. <laughs> but I'm very excited to talk to him. I've got a lot of really uh, awesome questions. If you guys have questions for him, please, you can, you can uh, message me on Facebook. You can email me at metalbible1711 at gmail.com. Just let me know what questions you want me to ask him. <laughs> and I will, uh, I, if they are respectful questions, I will ask them no matter what they are. All right, so, uh, but today's topic, I'm very, very excited about. Um, this is the first topical uh, episode that we have had. Um, the very first episode, you know, had a really good, awesome, uh, response to that. I, I had a lot of messages. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, how many people uh, messaged me saying that 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 episode really impacted them, the story of my grandmother. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, we're up on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of the uh, all the major ones now. So if you want to go listen to that one, you can. <laughs> this one today, although it will be a uh, on all of the audio podcasts, there will also be a video for this one uh, because I'm going to have some visuals for everyone uh, because uh, that's uh, th that's the way that I teach. I like to use visuals. I like to show my references and show the, the proof that I have uh, for the things that I say. But don't just trust the things that I have to say. I want for you to, after, after you get done, go make sure the things I'm saying are true. Don't just believe everything that I tell you. Uh, if I'm wrong about something, I want to know that I'm wrong. I don't want to teach things that are wrong. I want to know that what I'm teaching is not true. And so if you are respectful to me and give me a respectful criticism, I will happily take it. Um, because I, I just want to teach the Word of God. I want to teach you how to defend it. But today we're going to do it in a way that is different than most. Because we're actually going to talk about Jesus. We're, um, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Jesus is obviously, he is the point of the entire Bible. Uh, and you're going to come across some people in your life that are going to tell you that uh, Jesus didn't exist. Uh, you know, is, is Jesus a myth? Uh, you will, there was a survey done. Uh, the only one that I'm aware of is in England was like 22% of people thought that Jesus didn't exist at all, which is astonishing to me. Uh, how many people are that historically illiterate? Um, but today we're gonna we're gonna talk about proving Jesus without using a single word of the Bible, uh, and the amount of evidence for him is just astonishing. 
because you got this guy who's just a first century Jew, uh, son of a carpenter, and in a little, very small town called Nazareth, maybe 100 or 200 people lived there at that time. Uh, it's a very, very small town. And we should have, if, if he doesn't exist, uh, we should have nothing on him <laughs> um, outside of the Bible. Uh, but, you know, you would think that if he was just some guy from the first century, uh, that we wouldn't have the amount of evidence that we do have of people talking about him and the things that we have here. So uh, this is a really awesome way to witness to people who are atheists who uh, don't will not let you use the Bible as a source. Now, the Bible is a legitimate source. It, it absolutely is. It is a historical document on top of being the Word of God. And so we can use that as a source, but some people are so stubborn in their... Uh, and they're atheists and that they will refuse to let you use the Bible as a source at all. So we are going to take that and we're going to attack it. And so this is a meme that I saw on an atheist page. All right. And you'll see a lot of this kind of stuff. And I'm going to read it to you. I know my head's kind of blocking it there. I'll read you the quote here in just a second. But you're going to find a lot of uh, these kinds of memes. And unfortunately, there's so many Christians today that don't understand how to defend the historicity of Jesus that they will look at this and they'll just believe that it's true um, because it's on a meme on the Internet. There's a lot of people out there that see and they get really disheartened and they're like, yeah, wow, did, did Jesus really exist? And and for weaker people, that that absolutely uh, starts to, to, to get to them. And so this is also to help people to understand that what you believe uh, is not just based on the Bible, it's based on historical fact. So this is a guy named Dr. Bart Ehrman. He's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, he's an atheist. It seems weird to me to be a professor of religious studies, uh, especially if he's in like a New, New Testament scholar um, and, and be an atheist. It just seems weird to me. I don't know. Um, but here's the quote. It says, in the entire first Christian century, Jesus is not mentioned by a single Greek or Roman historian, religious, uh, religion scholar, politician, philosopher, or poet. His name never occurs in a single inscription, and it is never found in a single piece of private correspondence. Zero zip references. At the bottom of this meme, for those of you listening, uh, it says, Jesus didn't exist. Real men don't have imaginary friends. Jesus isn't real. <laughs> Get over it. Blah, blah, blah. You know, the sky daddy stuff. Oh, no, I'm shaking in my boots. Right. But the the funny part of this meme uh, is that the atheist doesn't actually understand um, that Dr. Bart Ehrman actually wrote a book about how Jesus absolutely existed. He doesn't, he doesn't deny that Jesus exists. But in this quote... He's actually, he's not lying when he says that there's no, there's not, and no copies of any first story, uh, first century historians. There's no copies of them. Uh, but, but that's just, it's dishonest at, at best. Because so, let me show you. All right. We've got historical reliability of the Bible here. This is a, uh, this is a table of contents, or uh, sorry, a, a, a table that shows comparison of ancient historical, historical documents. Uh, and we've got, you know, the top five. Uh, we got the New Testament, got Homer's Iliad, Aristotle's writing, uh, Demosthenes' speeches, and Caesar's Gaelic Wars. 
All right, and then we got in this next one. We're gonna we're gonna take out the New Testament. And just talk about the bottom four for a second. Uh, so we've got Homer's Iliad was originally composed in 800 BC. The earliest manuscripts that we have from that are 400 BC, just 400 years later. The only the amount of copies we have of that is about 1757. All right, it's not very many copies. That's 400. It means in 800 BC, Homer's Iliad was written down. And it was copied and copied and copied and copied and copied. And we don't have any of those copies except for 400 years later. <laughs> All right. That's a long, that's a long period of time. Uh, Aristotle's writings, 384 to 380 or 322 BC. Uh, and the earliest manuscripts we have are 850 AD. That is 1200 years later. And we have about a thousand copies of that. <laughs> uh, you know, the next one, we got 300 BC, uh, earliest manuscripts, 1180, 1400 years later, you get the point. History, uh, people that say that Jesus didn't exist and there's no historical evidence for that. And Dr. Bart Ehrman, when he's talking about there's no uh, writings from the first century, like this is why it's being dishonest because we don't have any original writings of any of these people, none of them. Right? Aristotle, we don't have Aristotle's, Aristotle's writings. We don't have the writings of, about Plato. We don't have the writing. We don't have the Caesar's Gaelic writings. Uh, Alexander the Great, his biography was written hundreds of years after he died. Okay, we don't have any contemporary stuff. We don't have stuff written about these these different people from exactly their same period of time. We don't have the original writings. So that's being intellectually dishonest. He just knows that his audience doesn't know how history is decided. If if people who deny the existence of Jesus were to actually apply their beliefs across all of history uh, in in an honest way, in the same way across the board, uh, nothing in history would exist. <laughs> like nothing before, like the printing press would exist, because there would be no evidence that is good enough for any of these people to exist. And that's just not how history is decided at all. <laughs> but then you go to the New Testament, and the New Testament, the original composition dates around 49 AD. This graph says 95 AD. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that. I think that even the book of Revelation was written before 70 AD. And this is why. Because had it been written after that, the temple that Jesus said would fall had fallen in 70 AD. It would have absolutely been written about because that was uh, that was a direct a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus made. And so <clears throat> the earliest manuscripts that we have, or sorry, the, the original composition date for that, I think 49 to, to 70, uh, 66, 69, 80, something like that. <clears throat> and the earliest manuscripts that we have are right now or it is 117 AD all right that's that's around 30 to 50 60 years maybe and that's just the manuscripts okay we know those aren't the copies those aren't they're the original copies but the amount of copies that we have are 25,000 copies within the first couple hundred years and all of these others we have Barely, we have a thousand on one of them. We have seventeen hundred on another. Over the span of four hundred years, right? And so we've got twenty-five. That there are more New Testament copies, early New Testament copies, than every other ancient manuscript in history combined. Okay, <laughs> because something happened 
that made this really important for these people to freak out and copy as many times as they possibly could to spread it everywhere, which is what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> so let's jump into this. <laughs> so we got Josephus. Josephus is somebody that I highly suggest that you start to try to understand his writings. I have his whole complete works. It's one of the best books that my wife, it's one of the best things my wife has ever bought for her because I found some incredible stuff inside of this. <laughs> for those who don't know, Josephus was a, was a Jewish Roman historian. He was born around 37 AD, died around 100 AD. <laughs> okay. And if you remember, Bart, Dr. Dr. Ehrman says that there are no writings from any historians from the first century, right? Okay. Josephus is writing in the very first century, okay? He is a Greek Roman historian, so he has access to all of Rome's records, and Rome was meticulous with its record keeping. It had records for everything, and so his, uh, his complete works includes basically everything from all the way back in the Old Testament. It's got some really awesome stories about Moses that, we, that we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, being in Egypt, uh, probably passed down orally throughout the Jews throughout time. And, you know, it's not biblical. It's not, uh, you know, it, we can't guarantee that it's historical, but it is extremely interesting, the things that he talks about. <laughs> but he then goes on and he starts to talk about uh, the time around the time that that he was living. Uh, and starts to explain some of the things that happened there. <clears throat> now, with Josephus, the first people that we have that write, uh, that, that have copied Josephus' stuff, is like a couple of hundred years after Josephus. That is why Dr. Ehrman says that we don't have any in the first century, because we don't have Josephus' copies that he wrote himself. But again, we don't have that for anyone. No one. We, we don't have original copies from anyone during that time, period. None. There are zero of them because that is incredibly difficult to keep over that long period of time. And so it requires people to make copies and copies and copies and copies and copies for us to have enough for us to eventually be able to find some of them. Okay, so there is some controversy with Josephus that there are some later copies that, uh, that Christians probably did actually uh, alter. Uh, and those had some more fantastical things that sound more like a Christian saying them than than a Jew okay because the witnesses that we're going to talk about today uh, or the the historians they're, they're called they're what we call his, uh, hostile witnesses which means that they weren't followers of Jesus they they weren't supporters of him some of them downright just hate the Christians and are, are perturbed by them um, and this one this is talking about Jesus okay and find some interesting stuff from Josephus he has some really cool stuff for us so at this time, there was a man called Jesus, I'm quoting from uh, Josephus's, uh, I think it's Annals, uh, or uh, Antiquity of the Jews, sorry. Yeah, Antiquity of the Jews. Uh, at this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. There's a few things right there. Uh, but those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. Okay, that's extremely important for later. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Hold on. They did what? <clears throat> they reported that they saw Jesus alive. 
purpose is him recording that. He's not saying that he believes them. He's just recording that they said this. But this is important for later. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah. It's basically like according to them. Concerning whom the prophets had reported wonders. And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. So there were a lot of messiahs that would pop up here and there throughout the years. Uh, as the uh, you know for, for the Jews because they had prophesied a Messiah, and they would have followers for some time, and then they would uh, you know the Messiah would die, and then the, their followers would go away. But he's basically saying this like he's surprised that they haven't gone away yet. <laughs> so it's Antiquity of the Jews, Book 18, Chapter 3, Flavius Josephus. I love that name. So he wrote that in 93 to 94 A.D., <laughs> about 60 years after Jesus died. That is incredible. And this isn't including the New Testament stuff that we already talked about. There's nothing to do with the Bible. This is just, or sorry, nothing to do with the New Testament. Uh, but this is Josephus talking about it. So he continues. Festus was now dead, and Albinus was upon the road. So he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus. I'm sorry, Catholics. I'm really sorry. But Jesus had brothers. We don't even just find that out through the Bible. Josephus knows that it was his brother, right? Who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others, or some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, he delivered them to be stoned. All right. To greet the Jews, book 20, chapter 9. It is incredibly important to remember this about James, because we're going to talk about this in the wrap-up. We're going to talk about how important this is. So remember this. Because we don't, we don't find out how James died in the Bible. This is how we find out how James died. We find out through Josephus that he was stoned. There's another, uh, there's another uh, story of James dying where he says that he was thrown from the top of a building and then clubbed to death after being thrown from the top of a building for refusing to say that, that his brother was the Messiah. Um, this next guy's named Cornelius Tacitus. He was a Roman historian. Uh, he was born in 55 AD, uh, died in 117 AD. Uh, you know, he was probably a teenager around the time of Paul and, uh, you know, Paul and Peter dying and, uh, and John. Uh, but he was, he was alive during, uh, he was uh, during the reign of Nero, right? Uh, his key writings talk about the persecution of the church uh, by Emperor Nero. Uh, wrote about how early Christians were used as human torches to light Nero's gardens. Uh, Nero was horrible. Like when John was writing the book of Revelation, he was that was during the time of Nero. That a lot of the imagery you can see there. Um, that's why a lot of there are people who say that the book of Revelation has has almost uh, almost all of it has already happened, except for the return of Jesus. Uh, I completely disagree with that. Um, but yes, it was really bad for those Christians during that time. Uh, but he also helps us prove that the early Christians worshiped Jesus as God. So this is him, uh, Tacitus in, in, in his annals. Uh, he's writing, uh, to someone says, but not all the relief that could come from man, not all the bounties that the prince could bestow, nor all of the atonements, which could be presented to the gods availed to relieve Nero from the infamy of being believed to have ordered the conflagration, the fire of Rome. So there was a fire that happened in Rome and everybody was saying, there were a lot of rumors saying, Hey, uh, Nero did this himself. 
um, kind of like Hitler with the Reichstag, right? A burning of the Reichstag. It's another historical rumor, in fact, that uh, that this happened. So this is something. Uh, but to, su to to suppress that rumor, he falsely charged with guilt. This is Tacitus again, and punished Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name Jesus, obviously, was put to death by Pontius Pilate. Hey, stop! That's two people right there who have talked about the death of Jesus by Pontius Pilate. Josephus and Tacitus. Uh, uh, and again, now he back to Tacitus. He says. Pontius Pilate, the procurator of Judea and the reign of Tiberius. But the pernicious superstition, okay, he is not talking well of these people. He is annoyed by them. The superstition, repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. So he's talking about the spread of Christianity in his lifetime where all things hideous and shameful come from every part of the world, find their center, become popular. He is, he is irritated at the fact that Christianity is spreading, but he's also admitting that Nero used the fire to blame the Christians. And this next one is called, uh, his name is Pliny the Younger. He was born in 61 AD, governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor. Uh, records account of Christians... Uh, records accounts of Christians and validates belief of Christ's deity was long before the Council of Nicaea. <laughs> All right. Uh, it says that they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day. This is uh, Pliny speaking. Before it was light, when they sang an anthem to Christ as God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to commit any wicked deed. So he's saying that the Christians used to meet on the same day every single week early in the morning and would sing songs about Jesus being God. That is extremely important because it was long before the Council of Nicaea. All right, I want to show you something here. The Council of Nicaea is something that you will find on the internet and all YouTube and TikToks and Facebook and all the. This is where the, this, they will say that this is where the books of the Bible were decided and they took the books out that contradicted it and all of this nonsense. None of that is true. You know how we know that? Because the people who were at the Council of Nicaea wrote about why they were there and none of it had to do with the books of the Bible being decided. Those were decided long before this time. Even the heretic Marcion, who is a contemporary of Paul, has an, that's where we get one of the earliest compositions or writings of all of the, uh, the New Testament books together. Right? So we, we know that the books were already decided long before this because they were circulating around all of the churches. I'll do another video on how we got the Bible later on, but I just really needed to point this out because you have a lot of people, a lot of really dumb people that will just say, well, you know, they at the Council of Nicaea, they decided how uh, the Bible, uh, how the Bible was put together. Or they will say that this is where they decided that Jesus was God. But as we already saw, that they were already singing songs about Jesus being God. What actually happened at the Council of Nicaea was they were, they, Constantine had them gather together because they were going to try to uh, discuss how to solve the problem created by what's called Arianism, which is a heresy proposed by Arius of Alexandria that affirmed that Christ is not divine, but a created being. 
It is absolutely not true. They uh, uh, Arius got uh, condemned. He got kicked out. He was exiled. Uh, and then after that, they also talked about you know how to do bishops and, and some of the other kind of things. So <clears throat> then we've got Pliny the Younger here. Uh, or sorry, no, the next one here we've got is um, <laughs> it's Flagon. Flagon of Trails. Uh, this one's my favorite. I love Flagon of Trails and, and the information that comes from him. Uh, he's a Greek historian from the 2nd century AD. In his, in his chronicles, he wrote in reference to the hour of Jesus' death. I quote, The greatest eclipse of the sun, and it became night in the sixth hour of the day, which is noon, so that the stars even appeared in the heavens. There was a great earthquake in Bithynia, and many things were overturned in Nicaea. This is talking about the time of Jesus. But he, does, uh, he doesn't mention Jesus in this. There's another man named Thallus uh, who does mention Jesus. And, and the way that we get this information is because church fathers did what they have. What's, they have basically an ancient argument. It's called a polemic, right? Where they argue with uh, things that they're reading. Like they would read Phlegon and they would read this about, uh, <coughs> they would read this about the, uh, the eclipse that happened at Jesus's, or the darkness that happened at Jesus's death, and the and the um, and the earthquake, and these people are trying to explain it away as some kind of a natural phenomenon. But we've got people like Origen and Philopen and uh, Julius Africanus who are arguing with these people, <laughs> and so and when they argue with them, they are quoting them. And when they're quoting them, that's how we get to understand what these people say. <laughs> and so, without the Bible, some amazing things can be proven. Without using a single text from the Bible, we can prove, number one, that Jesus absolutely existed. Okay, And this is not an exhaustive list. This is just like the closest four uh, four or five that, that talk about Jesus within a within hundred years. Okay, and we know that Jesus absolutely existed. Okay, there is no question. There's not a single biblical scholar right now, atheist or not, uh, that will den will deny that Jesus existed and still have a job. That's just it. Just doesn't happen because it's clear. Okay, there's so much evidence. All right, we can prove number two that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. That is, that is a, a biblical claim. That is a, a name that goes with Jesus. And that was two different sources that talk about that exact thing. Both of those things. That he existed and that he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. <laughs> then with Phlegon and Thallus, we get that there was an earthquake and a great solar eclipse at his crucifixion. Okay, <laughs> And the, the great solar eclipse, like... It was three hours long. That's why he called it a great solar eclipse, because it was nothing like. But here's the problem. Uh, it would have happened during a full moon because Jesus died at Passover. You know, Jesus died around Passover, and there would have been a full moon. You can't have a full moon and a solar eclipse at the same time. So this is a miracle being proven by these guys who were who were hostile witnesses. All right. The next week, the disciples actually believed that they saw Jesus resurrected after being crucified. Now, please remember this. They it's they actually believed this. And Josephus talked about it. Uh, and Tacitus talked about it. 
right? And then this one, Jesus's own brother James was stoned to death or thrown from a building and beaten to death for refusing to deny his own brother was God. Now, this is extremely important. I want you to ask yourself, okay, if you have siblings out there, even if you don't, just think of a cousin or a friend or whatever, anybody, close, the closest person to you in your family. What would it take for you to be willing to be either stoned to death or thrown from the top of a building and beaten to death for refusing to deny that your sibling was God? Think about that for a second. What would it take for you to be willing to die for saying that? They gave him a not, they gave him, they said, they said, all right, they took him to the top of this building or they had these rocks in their hands and they said, okay, I want for you to tell me that your brother is not God, is not the Messiah, that he did not resurrect. You do that, we won't kill you. And he said, nope, hit me with the rocks or shove me off this building. I don't care. And James famously did not believe that his brother was God. Or he didn't believe that he was the Messiah. He, I mean, that, imagine that. That's hard to believe. Okay, yeah, right. Okay, you're God. But what would make you believe that? What if you saw your brother get brutally tortured, horribly, horribly beaten and then crucified, and you saw him buried, you saw him dead? What would it take for you to believe and have a change of heart? Perhaps seeing him again risen after that? Might that change your mind? Of course that's going to change your mind. The, the brother of Jesus, James, that is one of the most amazing evidences for the ministry of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. Because just that very fact alone, that it, you if, if this was legendary, if they made it up later, they wouldn't have his own family denying him. That would make no sense. You don't create a story like that, that um, where your own brother denies that you are God. Are, are the Messiah. That's that's not how you would tell a story because it, it's it's so un it's so unbelievable, right? <laughs> but <laughs> then you've got people like Paul. Paul was beheaded. Uh, Bartholomew. There's a few different accounts. One was that he was stabbed to death, or or, or his skin was ripped apart off of him. He was skinned alive. Uh, uh, for, for refusing to say that he saw Jesus alive after he died. Okay, all of these people, all these people that we're talking about right now, every single one of them, had they just said, you know what? We lied. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we didn't actually see him resurrect. They wouldn't have to go through this. All right? Peter, famously, was hung upside down on a cross. He said, I, the tradition is that he said, I am not worthy to die in the way that uh, that my Savior died. So hang me upside down on the cross. And so they crucified him upside down. We don't find that in the Bible. We find that in the, in the church fathers. So then again, we got James here. And this is the depiction of him being thrown from the building and beaten and stoned to death. Uh, you got John, who there's a story where he actually was boiled alive. And uh, he actually ends up escaping. Uh, Tortullian tells that story. And then he dies later at both age. Um, but he still had to go through this torture uh, and could have just said, uh, you know, we lied. Mark was dragged to death. Uh, there are a couple of different stories. Some of these stories vary because they're not told in the Bible, right? Uh, and that's okay. But we know for a fact that they were brutally tortured to death, all of them, right? 
Uh, then you've got all of these Christians who were used as torches for uh, for Nero. Uh, you know, there were 500 witnesses. Uh, but but I want I want you to I want you to understand this. People will be willing to die for something that they don't know is not true, that they believe is true. Like when Muslims will, uh, radical Muslims will go and blow themselves up, or they fly the fly the and fly into the, uh, the to the to the World Trade Center. They believed what they were doing was the truth, and they're willing to die for that. But what you don't ever actually find, you don't find people who are willing to die for something that they know is a lie. So that brings us to this next part. So with all this, we can logically say that the disciples were one of three things. This is kind of a, my own concept on the, uh, the liar, lunatic, or Lord. But, but this is with, with, the, uh, with the disciples or the apostles, right? There were other liars. They were hallucinating. They're telling the truth. As we talked about this already, people do not, they do not willingly go to be tortured to death for something that they know is a lie. If they had taken the body of Jesus and hidden it somewhere and buried it somewhere else, or, you know, Jesus wasn't actually dead. I mean, some of these are actually things that people will say about how the resurrection story because scholars accept the fact that the disciples or the apostles believed that they saw the risen messiah because of people like josephus and tacitus that these, are, these are things that they accept now they they will say that they're lying or they're all hallucinating i'm not proud of it but i've taken just about every drug that there is and i'll tell you right now that level of hallucination where you've got 500 people willing to to die for a hallucination together. First of all, to have that kind of a group hallucination that lasts such a long time is literally just impossible. It is an impossible thing for everybody to have that and for it to last for such a long period of time, right? Because Jesus didn't come down and then he was there for like a day and showed up to everybody once and then left. No, it was like a long period of time and things happened during that time. <laughs> so if they're not liars and they're not hallucinating, then the only logical conclusion that we have is that they're telling the truth. And this is absolutely the case. We know that they are telling the truth because of their actions, because they were willing to go to die and be brutally tortured to death for refusing to deny that they saw Jesus resurrect. That is some amazing, amazing stuff. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do a teaser for the next one, for the next episode, and then I'm going to answer a question from somebody that sent me, and then we're going to be done. <laughs> but I talked earlier about um, about Josephus, uh, and I talked about some awesome things that, that he talked about. We're going to go over a couple of those today. I'm going to go more in depth on the next episode, uh, but I want you, I've got some homework for you, okay? I want you, if you don't have the Blue Letter Bible app, I highly suggest it. It's really, really good, especially for referencing the ancient text, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's my favorite Bible app. It was the one that Chuck Missler would, would recommend, and I love me some Chuck Missler. Uh, but I want you to go and look for this word called tanin. Right? Tanin is 
a word that is the meaning as a couple of things. Uh, a dragon, a serpent, sea monster, right? Sometimes people translated it as whale or the, and some newer versions, they will change it to jackal or even ostrich. Um, probably because it makes people uncomfortable that the Bible talks about dragons. As you can see right here, it says it 21 times. It says the word dragon in the King James Version, 21 times. I want you to go and I want you to look at all of those in your Bible. Look through different versions for this word tanin. Okay, you'll find it in the very first book of the Bible. When people say, oh, the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs, it's in the very first chapter. Okay, it's in the first chapter, the very first use of this word. Sometimes it will be uh, described, it'll say uh, sea monsters, sometimes it'll say whales, but it's always this word, tanin, and it is a dinosaur. Okay, it could be a water looking dinosaur, something, some sort of a dragon of sorts, okay? But <laughs> that's your homework for, for before this next time. I want you to look it up because you're going to be astonished. It's in there 28 times in the King James version of the Bible. Go read those texts. Uh, it's it, it. You're going to find some interesting things if you do. <laughs> but I want to talk about a couple of things here. This next with, with, with Josephus and the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, there's this really weird um, thing where uh, God tells them to build this staff that has the, uh, you know, you put the make the fiery serpent and put it on a flagpole and everybody who looks at it will be, will live. <laughs> right. And it says these fiery serpents. Okay. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people. The many people of Israel died. And then in numbers 21, it said, Lord make the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, put it on a flagpole. And that's what come about that. Everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. <laughs> now, if you're, if you're watching this, you can see that there's some sort of a pterodon. Uh, some sort of a, a flying uh, avian dinosaur on here, right? And you're like, well, how do you know that? Now, I don't get that from this text, right? But we go and we look somewhere else. First of all, fiery serpent, I need you to know that means venomous, right? So this is a venomous serpent of some sort. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to talk about Josephus again. He's my favorite. Uh, so this is G Josephus talking about when Moses was in Egypt, and he was uh, he was kind of like a military person in Egypt. Um, it says, but Moses prevented the enemies and took and led his army before those enemies were apprised of his attacking him. For he did not march by the river, by the land, or but by the land. For he gave a wonderful demonstration of his uh, sagacity. <laughs> For when the ground was difficult to be passed over because of the multitude of serpents, which it produces in vast numbers and indeed is singular in some of those productions, which other countries do not breed, and yet some as are worse than others in power and mischief and unusual fierceness of sight, some which ascend out of the ground unseen and also fly in the air and so come upon men unawares and do the mischief. Serpents that fly in the air that's quite interesting. So Moses invented a wonderful stratagem that to preserve the army safe and without hurt, for he made baskets like unto arcs of sedge and filled them with ibis, 
Those are birds. Okay, they're birds with a really thin, weird, long kind of kind of beak there, and carrying them along with them. Which animal is the uh, which animal is the greatest enemy to serpents imaginable? For they fly from them when they come near them, and as they fly, they are caught and devoured by them. So he's saying, so these 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 ibis birds, they fly around and they catch the 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 these serpents from the ground and out of the air, as if it were done by the hearts. But the ibis are tame creatures and only enemies to serpentine kind. <clears throat> but about these ibis, I say no more at present, since the Greeks themselves are not unacquainted with this sort of bird. Sort of bird. All right, so <laughs> that's really cool. We have one person talking about this thing. But then we go ahead and we continue to the father of history, Herodotus, all right? And there's some very cool stuff about this, all right? So there is a region, moreover, in Arabia, this is Herodotus talking, situated nearly over against the city of Buto, to which place I came to inquire about the winged serpents. When I came thither, I saw bones of serpents and spines in quantity so great that it is impossible to rent to make report of the number. And the story goes that at the beginning of the spring, winged serpents, winged serpents from Arabia fly towards Egypt and the birds called ibises meet them at the entrance to this country and do not suffer the serpents to go by, but kill them. Order. That is two accounts separated by hundreds of years. Two different people talking about how these ibis birds go against these winged, venomous serpents. And he goes later on to talk about how they are, they have the wings of bats, right? Uh, but I wanted to show you this picture as the last picture on this, because this is my favorite dinosaur. This is Draco Rex Hogwartsia. Talked about him on the, on the, on the, Facebook page, but this is the coolest dinosaur that there is. Because if, if you saw this, if you showed this to somebody from the time of Jesus, they go, oh, look, that's a dragon. You know why? It's a dragon. It's a, di a dragon is a dinosaur. Because dinosaurs used to live with people. They just called them dragons. That's just a teaser for next time. I want you to look up Tanin. I want you to research that before the next podcast episode, which hopefully I'll be able to do in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to talk about dinosaurs. Then we're going to dig into the Nephilim. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that subject. I'm going to do it some justice, though, and spend a good quality amount of time on it because it's one of my favorites. <laughs> but as promised, I've got a um, I've got a question from somebody who sent it to me uh, a couple of months ago, and I'm finally able to get to it. Uh, so if you want to have a question answered on this podcast, send your question in video format or audio format. It's fine. As long as it's clear and it's fairly short, you know, I don't want like a 20 minute question or five, 10 minute question, just a couple minutes, ask a question, send it to metal Bible at, or sorry, metal Bible one, seven, one, one at gmail.com. The one, seven, one, one is in reference to Acts 17, 11, which is the part about the Bereans. Uh, and Paul saying how the Bereans were so good for uh, looking into the Word of God to see if what he said was true. So, metalbible1711 at gmail.com to send your questions. So let's go ahead and listen to this question. 
Hey, Metal Bible, Jimmy here from Western Australia. So my question is, what's your view of the church between 300 AD to the Protestant Reformation? And do you think Yahweh had a hand in the Reformation? Cheers. So thank you so much for your question. I really, really appreciate, appreciate it. I'm sorry that it took me so long to get to you, man. Uh, and that's awesome uh, from all the way in Australia. That's incredible. I'm really excited that I'm reaching all the way to Australia. That You have no idea how, how awesome that makes me feel. So as for your question, uh, how do I feel about, you know, the time between, you know, 300, basically the reign of the Catholic Church all the way up until the Reformation? Um, obviously, I, I'm not a Catholic. Um, I will not go as far to say that there were no people who were saved in the Catholic Church for the, you know, the 1,200 years that they were there. But here's, here's, here's the problem that I have with that whole time is from the time of the, the reign of the Catholic Church, around 300, all the way until 1500, they basically punished every single person who tried to read the Bible for themselves. Uh, Catholics will make the claim that they were, uh, you know, we put the Bible together, you should thank us because that we are the reason you have the Bible. But they're also the reason that no one was able to read the Bible because they would... They would kill any person who tried to read it for themselves, and especially anybody who tried to make it to where everybody else could read it. I think that Yahweh absolutely had his hand in the Reformation. I think that, um, <laughs> you know, God is a gracious God, and I think he will punish those that kept people from being able to read his word, and he will reward those who had faith. Obviously, there, I mean, People who had faith and then still followed with the Catholic Church, that's all that they could do because they didn't know how to read. I mean, they were kept. They were literally kept from being able to understand what God had to say. So I think the Catholic Church per perverted a lot of things, and they were able to get away with it for so long because they kept anybody from understanding it. But once you get people to be able to, where they start to actually read it for their own, that's when you start getting people going, hey, wait, what you're saying is actually not in here. And so that's where you get the Reformation, is you get people that are getting kind of mad because they're like, wait, the things that the Catholic Church is saying is, are just wrong. Now, I don't just hate Catholics. I don't. I really don't. I, I talk about Catholicism a lot because there's a lot of problems with it. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of pr problematic doctrines that are just not found in, in the Scriptures anywhere and actually contradict it in many places. And I have, I have great problems with them. Now, I am not one who says that, you know, there are no saved Catholics. I, I'm, I'm not, I won't ever say that. I don't decide who's saved. Uh, I can't say that. And so, but if Catholics are saved, the, the Catholics that are saved, excuse me, uh, are saved in spite of their doctrine, not because of it. Um, because their practices of praying to the saints and praying to Mary and all of these extra things that they do that are, are just against what the Bible teaches us. Jesus is our only uh, mediator between us and God. That, that is a biblical fact. There is no one else that can hear our prayers. No one. Because nobody else has the power that God has to hear everyone. So, you know, I think that God still worked through that time. There are miracles that happen through that time. I know cessationists will like to talk about how there's no miracles that happen between this and this and this, but the cessationist movement actually got started because they were trying to disprove miracles that the Catholics were claiming. Because as cessationists usually think, they think that 
miracles prove the messenger, but that's not what miracles prove. When Jesus did miracles, he, it, why did he say that he did that? He, he said, because I have compassion, because I, because I love these people, because I want for them to be healed. And just because a Catholic had a miracle happen, does not mean that everything that the Catholic Church has ever done is exactly what God wants. So I hope that that answers your question. I know I answered a little bit more than that. Um, but thank you so much for sending me your question. Um, but just to wrap up today's episode, guys, uh, I hope that you're able to understand now how you can prove Jesus in a lot of ways without using the Bible. There's a lot of people that will just, no matter what you do, there's no amount of evidence that you can give them. They will still just deny it because they just don't want to believe. Right? And there's nothing you can do for somebody. There's nothing that you can do to change the mind of somebody that just says, I don't care what evidence you give me. I'm not going to believe it because I already know that it's not true. And there's nothing that you can do. You have to pray for their hardened hearts. Pray that God shows up in a miraculous way to them. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. So I just thank you guys so much. I really hope that you were able to get a lot out of this episode. I've got a lot of really awesome plans and a lot of really awesome lessons that we can do. Uh, I, you know, I want for you guys to be included in this. I want to go where you guys need me. I want to answer your questions. I want for you to have a full understanding of the Bible in a way that benefits you in your everyday life and in interacting with your coworkers, with your kids. I am passionate about helping our kids understand how to defend the Bible. I'm, I'm so passionate about it. it. That's why I started learning this stuff over a decade ago because I just needed to be able to give my kids that's why i wanted to do it first is just give my kids the answers that they needed when they dealt with a lot of questions that were coming up and so <clears throat> i'm hoping that there are things that you guys will uh, need answered and i will answer every single question that i possibly can but i want you to know there are answers to everything there are good answers to all of the questions that you have. And it is, it is all because God gave us a ton of evidence. In the future, I'm gonna talk about the flood. We're gonna talk about dinosaurs in the next episode. We'll talk about the Nephilim. We're gonna talk about, we're gonna go in depth in the Exodus because I, I the last time I taught on the Exodus, I took like, it was like two months to teach on the Exodus. But the amount of evidence there is outside of the Bible for the Exodus is absurd. You're going to be told there's no evidence for the Exodus, but the amount of evidence is stupid. I mean, and I just found some stuff today when reading Josephus, which just blew my mind about um, uh, about the Exodus and and some of the some of the Egyptians that that he quotes who talked about the Hebrews leaving Egypt. I mean, it's just it's astonishing because faith is 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 not just believing without seeing. That's not what God wants from us. He, he doesn't want you to just blindly believe everything. You don't have to do that. Yes, we, we do have faith because we didn't see what happened with Jesus, but that doesn't mean there's no evidence. 
That doesn't mean there's no evidence of Moses and and the Exodus and all of Joshua's conquests and Nephilim. Uh, I mean, my favorite thing to do is to take what's in the Bible and show you it outside of the Bible. God has been gracious enough to allow a lot of that evidence. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really excited for the future of this podcast. Thank you so much for your support already. Uh, at some point in the future, we're going to have uh, some merch coming out. I'm, I'm trying to figure out uh, the schematics of that. Uh, my co-host will be joining me in, here in the next episode or two uh, because he's, you know, as soon as we started talking about this, the enemy started attacking. Uh, and it's been insane the amount of t- times I've been attacked just this last month. Uh, it's been more than I ever have been attacked in my entire life. I can honestly say that. It has never happened to me like this since I decided to do this. And that lets me know that I'm over the target. So if you guys would pray for me, send me your prayers. I will pray for every single one of you. I thank you guys so much for for putting up with me and dealing with me. Because I promise you, at some point, I'm probably going to make you mad. Because my mouth gets me in trouble a lot. And I don't hold my tongue like I should sometimes. Uh, but I'm, I'm only human. I'm in need of a savior just like everybody else. But thank you again so much. I cannot possibly thank you enough for the amount of support that you guys have given to me. And so I just want to close out saying thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Remember, go look at the yeah, Tanin because the Bible, the most metal book ever created, and it is filled with some of the most amazing things that you could possibly ever see. Thank you.